0: Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 247 3051 Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
1: Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much Lord, for, for teaching us. Lord, we're so needy. We don't know, and yet, Lord, we thank you that you take time to see that we don't know, and you teach us the truth out of your word. And so do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 26, and starting verse 22. And he removed from thence, and digged another well, and for that they strove not. And he called the name of it, Rehoboth. And he said, "For now, the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land." And He went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night, and said, "I am the God of Abraham, thy father; fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee, and will multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake." And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants digged a well. Then Abimelech went to him from Gerar and Ahuzat, one of his friends, and Feel, the chief captain of his army. And Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing ye hate me, and have sent me away from you? And they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. And we said, Let there be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee, Thou wilt do us no hurt, as we have not touched thee, and as we have not done unto thee nothing but good, and have sent thee away in peace. Now thou art now the blessed of the Lord. And he made them a feast, and they did eat and drink, and they rose up betimes in the morning and swear one to another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told them concerning the well which they had digged, and said unto him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba, unto this day. And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Bere the Hittite, and Beshemeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which were grief of mind unto uh, Isaac and to Rebekah, so far as we 've been studying this chapter in genesis we 've been really moving along here with Isaac as he 's been going from place to place within the, the land of the philistines there he really he 's been chased from place to place. the land of the philistines one place to another and isaac's been moving all around this land here in the philistines and when you look at it it kind of looks like the jewish people who were wandering for 40 years in the desert in the sinai there and when you trace out that path that the jewish people were in when they wandered around through the sinai it seems that they were getting nowhere they were just kind of going around in circles And if you looked at where the Egypt was that they started out from and the Canaan was where they were going, they were just wandering as they went around for 40 years in the Sinai Desert. I mean, the distance from Egypt to Canaan there is 300 miles. And if they walked straight from Egypt to Canaan, they would have made it in about 11 days, certainly less than two weeks. But God led them on this journey in the Sinai there. And, it, and instead of 11 days, it took them 40 years. And so what should have been an 11-day journey took a 40 years. And when you trace out where they went, you see why it took so long. They were just wandering. But God had a purpose because they were not ready to go into the promised land. And so God had to teach them. And for anyone looking at their paths and how they went, it just looked like chaos. It just looked like they're going here and they're there, but that's not how God saw it because God who was teaching them through the way of the wandering, and so he saw something different. And when we look back on our lives, and sometimes we look like we're 40 years of wandering around, and it looks like we're getting nowhere, but that's not the way God sees our lives. No more does God see the path of our lives as an aimless, unprofitable wandering around than he saw the journey of the Israelites during those 40 years as aimless and unprofitable and just wandering around. He didn't see it that way. Because during those 40 years, God was teaching them. And you know what the greatest lesson was that God had to teach them during those 40 years? One word, and he said what it was, humility. It took 40 years to teach them humility. And that's what God said in Deuteronomy 8, 2-5. through 5. He, said, he said, thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. Now, should also consider this in thine heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chasteneth thee. So, what looked like absolute aimless wandering around, going nowhere, making no progress, was not how God saw those 40 years. What God specifically called the people to do, he said, Look back on that wandering that you took that's what he said in Deuteronomy 8 2 when he says and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness or in the desert the people probably thought it was just too painful to look back on those 40 years of the wandering and they just wanted to forget it forget about it and God said no don't you forget it you remember it you remember that way As God wanted them to look back on it, and God wants us to look back on our lives as well, and not just focus on how little progress we made in our lives with the Lord Jesus Christ, but to focus on what God taught us. And God emphasized to the Jewish people, he was the one who was responsible for leading them those 40 years. I mean, when you look on a map and you see what you would ask the question, what kind of a guy do they have? (laughs) He needs to be replaced. (laughs) Looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. But God says in Deuteronomy 8.2, the Lord thy God led thee those 40 years in the wilderness. And when they would say, why, why, why did you lead us in circle for 40 years? And God's reply comes right back to them in Deuteronomy 8.2, when he says, I did it to humble you. I did it to humble you, to prove you know what was in your heart, whether you're going to obey my commandments or not. And then God said, he accomplishes gold. He says, I did what I wanted to do, Deuteronomy 83. He said, and he humbled thee. I did it to humble you, and I did humble you. And I suffered you to hunger, and I fed you with some food that you had no idea existed, and your fathers didn't tell you about it either. And so God was saying to them, I designed it all. I designed that you would get really hungry because there's no other way that I could teach you to look to me for all your needs in life unless you got really hungry. And I realized that, and I saved your life with food, miraculous food. And then God told them he had a great purpose in all this. And Moses described it as he said that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So God's saying to them, that was the only way that I could teach you that all-important life lesson that man has no life unless he lives on every word that comes out of God's mouth. That's the truth that God wanted to teach them. That's where your life is. It's from the words that I speak. And so God said that for the Israelites, he says, now I want you, God says, I want you to take a special look at your clothes. He says, you know, look at their clothes. Look at your clothes. And especially, I want you to take a special look at your feet. (laughs) He said, my feet? Yeah, you look at your feet. He said, look at your feet. God wanted them to take a good hard look at their clothes, and realize, you realize your clothes did not wear out for 40 years? I never thought about it. Well, think about it, God says. Your clothes are as new or in the same condition as they were when you left Egypt 40 years ago. And look at your feet. Your feet didn't swell when you were walking around for 40 years. My feet swell after I walk around for two hours. (laughs) 40 years. You look at those feet of yours. And you look at those clothes of yours and you see in your feet and your clothes the loving kindness of God. Because just as the disciples marveled as they looked at how the winds and the waves obeyed the voice of the Lord Jesus, they said that in Matthew 8, 27, the men marveled saying, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. never saw this before. And they marveled at that. So the Jewish people in Sinai could look at their clothes and look at their feet, and marvel and say, what manner of God is this, that even my clothes and my feet obey him? (laughs) He said, clothes, they don't get old. Feet, God says that. You know, God said to the wind and the waves, peace, be still, when the waves stop. God speaks, Is it clothes, don't get old. They don't get old. Feet, don't swell. They don't swell. So God taught them that the lesson that he wanted them to see is, look, When a father disciplines his son that he loves, he's got two hands. One hand, he disciplines. Other hand, he loves and supports. And that's what he was showing them there. He says, I want you to see that. He says, one hand, I humbled you. On the other hand, I said, you're closing your feet. Just don't get old and don't swell. As love. And so these 40 years in the wilderness where the wanderings for the Israelites represented a progression of learning a progression of learning. And when we look at the time that Isaac spent in the land of the Philistines, it represents a progression of learning. See, in the beginning of this chapter, Isaac feared the Philistines. It says that in verse 7. He says, for he feared. He was afraid of the Philistines. But by the end of this chapter, God tells, in verse 24, God tells Isaac, fear not. Don't fear not above there. He says, fear not. And so he progresses from fear of the Philistines to faith in God. And in verse 22, he really shows this when he says, for now the Lord hath made room for us. So we can see in this picture how Isaac progresses in learning, and he progresses from digging wells to building altars. And we can see in this chapter how he progresses from fighting his enemies and calling them names, like Sitna or Satan, to worshiping God. So this is a progression, for him, And we can see in this chapter how he progresses from being really angry at his enemies to forgiving his enemies and making them a big, big feast. And all this great change happened in Isaac's life when he became a man of worship. And we don't see him as a man of worship in the beginning of the chapter. We see him as a man of worship at the end of the chapter, building the altar and calling on the name of God. So when he turns his focus from how much he hated his problems how much he loved the lord everything changes and then god looks at isaac and says all right now now you're progressing now we're getting someplace so this great change this great change happened in isaac's life i don't know when he started off the chapter but we do know how old esau was when he was married how old was esau when he was married 40 that's a coincidence <laughs> 40 years but a great change happened here in Isaac when he built this altar and he calls on the name of the Lord in verse 25 he built an altar he called on the name of the Lord now when we read in verse 25 that Isaac called on the name of the Lord we got to ask the question what does that mean what picture comes to our mind he calls on the name of the Lord i mean you know what does he do go to his address book under g for god and say, <laughs> which one is it you know <laughs> and he said okay false guys no he yeah okay, i'll call it to you it's a very important statement when it says that Isaac called on the name of the Lord. Because a name describes who a person is. It's such a critical issue that the Lord Jesus Christ asked his disciples this important question in Matthew sixteen thirteen through 17, when he said, Then Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he's got the pictures going out through Israel there. He comes to the seacoast there, Caesarea Philippi, and they're about entering the city. So here's a city of, of Jewish people, of Romans, who, you know, is representing the Gentile world, the Jewish world, and Caesarea Philippi is a Roman city. And, and so he says, now, wait a minute. He says, now, you know, and we just picture he's got all these people in front. He says, now, i got a question for you. Who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and then some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, there's kind of all these all over the board answers. And then he says, okay. He says, I got it. He says, so you understand that everybody thinks everything about who I might be. So now he focuses a spotlight right on them. And he says, now, how about you? He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Who do you say I am? Well, and of course, you know, nobody says a word except for Peter. Of course, he's always the first one to speak. And he answered, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. And just in case you would get a little proud of that you got the right answer, I just got to burst your bubble and tell you that flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So why did he go through all of this? asking the disciples who men thought he was, and then going on to who they thought that he was. He wanted to show them. He wanted to show them that who they believed he was was not who others believed that he was. And that was a critical message for them. See, Peter hits the nail right on the head, because it was revealed to him from the Father, that he believed that the Lord Jesus was the Lord, was God the Messiah, was the living God the Son. So to call in the name of the Lord is to be specific as to who he is. If a person just calls out God, and it prays, it calls out God, that's not specific. I mean, is that the Allah God, or is that the Buddha God, or is that one of the millions of Hindu gods? Exactly which God was that? I told you that story about that big, giant black man who was sitting next to me on the plane. And I said, the Lord, and he leans towers over me, and who might that Lord be? <laughs> I was like, oh, man. <laughs> So if a person calls out to God, you don't know who he's talking about. If a person calls out God in prayer, well, that's equivalent to writing a letter and sending it off. It'll get returned for insufficient address. I don't know who it's supposed to go to. Because God has a name. God has a name. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God hears a person call out to God, just God, he's, I don't know who you're referring to. For example, let's just say I'm sitting at home one day and I hear a knock on the door and I yell out, who do you want to speak to? And so two responses. So the first response comes back. He says, I want to speak to the man of the house. (laughs) Well, I'm a man. I want to speak to the resident. Well, I'm residing there. Okay. That's one response, right? And then the other response, you go, oh, I want to speak to Thomas Leslie Cantor, born October 16, 1950, son of uh, Dr. Edward Bernard Cantor and Bernice Goodman, married to Cheryl Muma on January 17, 1970, has three sons. Now, which one am I going to respond to? <laughs> you know, I say, oh, he knows me. See, that's what happened to the blind man. The blind man in Luke eighteen thirty-five 42 where it says, It came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried out so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought, for, brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith. What you believe has made you whole. Here's an individual. He's identified as being an individual by the term, a certain blind man. And he's sitting by the side of the road. He's begging. He hears this great commotion. He's asked, what's going on? And they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And so the blind man cries out something remarkable I mean, he was told that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And it wouldn't have been remarkable if the blind man had said, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. But that this blind man cries out something remarkable. And when he cries out, he doesn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then the people rebuke him. He says, no, stop that. And so he cries out all the more. And this time he doesn't even say Jesus. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. See what happened? What happened there was just like the Lord asked the question, Whom do men say that I am? And on that day, the men said, Whom do the answer to the question, whom do men say that I am, was just Jesus of Nazareth. That's what men say you are. You're just Jesus of Nazareth. That's what they told the blind man. But then it was like the Lord turned to the disciples and said, well, who do you say that I am? And now it's just like the Lord turned to the blind man and said, well, who do you say that I am? And the blind man, he says, I don't say that you're just Jesus of Nazareth. Quite different from popular opinion as to who you are. I say you're the son of David, you're the Messiah. And then the Lord asked him, well, let me just probe this out a little bit more as to who you say that I am or who my name is. They he said, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? So that's another word way there that the Lord is saying, what do you believe I can do to you or for you? What do you believe I can do for you? And the man says, Lord, he calls him God. And he asked for his sight as he believed that the creator could create sight for him. If the creator created original sight, the creator could create sight in him. See, that's the same as Peter's great confession. Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the living God, the Son. And the blind man knew how to pinpoint and be specific as to calling on the name of the Lord. And he was saying, I'm not just calling on the resident of the house here or the man of the house. There's a blind man surrounded by people who could see physically. All those people, they could see physically. But he's the one who's blind. And because the blind man called on the name of the Lord Jesus as the Messiah and God, I mean, there was the blind man, and he was the only one who could see. <laughs> you ever think of that? <laughs> He's the only one in the crowd who could see, and he was blind. He could see. He was the only one in the crowd who could see that this was Jesus, the Messiah, and God. Everyone around who was blind to that. What an irony. And so, how can we put this to use in our lives? We can put this to use in our lives if we mark out something that God has done for you, for me specifically, Like, I can say, God healed me from cancer four years ago. Jean can say, God kept her from cancer last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, you know. That's something specific. I remember, when I last taught this, in 1982, was that we as a chapel were praying for visas for the Miltons to go to Indonesia. And the visas came. That was specific. And I also remember at that time, there was a lady in here, Marcia Heller, She came this close to being killed by a big semi in a car. So that was something specific. Oh, God, that healed me from cancer. Oh, God, that kept me from cancer. Oh, God, that gave me the visas. Oh, God, that saved me from being wiped out by that semi. See, that's specifically calling on the name of the Lord. And that's important because Satan's goal is to confuse us as to who God is. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to confuse us. You know, that we have examples of this in the Scripture. Of course, the most salient one, though, is the, in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, where it says, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God said, Don't eat it, don't touch it either, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. See, the passage starts out by describing Satan, by describing the serpent that Satan was using as the most subtle of all the beasts. That Hebrew word that's translated subtle is the word arum. It's not an evil word. It doesn't have an evil meaning at all. It just means looking beyond the immediate to the ultimate goal. See, that's what it means. Arum means looking beyond the immediate to the ultimate. Because it says in Proverbs 14, 15, where that word is used, the simple believeth every word, but the prudent, the arum man, he looks well to his going. The man who is arum, who is subtle, he looks well to his going. He sees from the immediate to the ultimate. In Proverbs 22, 3, a prudent man, an arum man, foreseeth the evil, and he hides himself. Simple, they pass on punished. See, a prudent or an arum man, that's the whole meaning. That's the key right there, that word foresee. That's where you get the meaning of the word arum. The arum man foresees the trouble down the road. He goes and runs away. He hides. I'm not going there. So when it says that the serpent was subtle, it just means that he looked from the immediate to the ultimate. He had an ultimate goal. And he was pushing Eve to not understand who God was. He was pushing Eve to not know who God's name was. So he moves Eve tactfully, skillfully, carefully from one misunderstanding to another misunderstanding. I don't know where she got the idea you couldn't touch it, but that was good for him because then he could move her on to the next misunderstanding until he finally got that she didn't know who God really was. And that's what he wanted. He wanted her to believe God's a liar. Well, God says this, but no, you're not going to die. So he's moved her to the point of saying God's a liar. That's why our position here at the chapel says that when it says God is not willing that any should perish and that all should be saved and that anyone who decides to believe can be saved, that it means that and that God means that. And he's not lying. And he has not made in advance the ultimate decision as to who will believe and who will not believe. God says whosoever will and God does not decide whosoever will. Now, by the time the serpent is finished with Eve, I mean, Eve, what kind of name would Eve have called on if she was calling on the name of the Lord? The God who said that if I happen to stumble and touch the fruit, I will die. I'm calling on you.
0: Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org, or go to iTunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at eight 800- hundred. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, Museum Curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts. Meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.